0: Another strength that I found, whilst I'm not a natural runner, um, was knowing how to pace myself. And every event I've done, and, and I'm sure you guys are, can attest, every, every bloody event I've done since in running, man, and there's probably been 10 or 11 now, um, you get those guys who are out the gate just absolutely bolt, and I'm so, you know, you just say in your head, "I'll see you guys in 20, 25 minutes," and, and sure enough, you, nine, nine out of ten of them, you do.
1: Kia ora that was John Lester I'm Matt Raymond and I'm Eugene Bingham And this is Dirt Church Radio Interesting conversations with interesting runners
2: Wild things, VIP discounts 15 months for the price of 12 Of course you can use the shop Two. Now Matt
1: I don't know if you know this but You can get 15% off dead oil 3 Did you know that? no I'm just counting the reasons though oh, there's yeah. three good 10% reasons percent off Garmin 15%
2: off Temple, 20% off Skinny 20, 25% off Ron Hill I don't think that's you can buy Ron Hill I think it's the, the gear but anyway um, right. that's not even scratching the surface uh, check it out wildthings.club make sure you've got your VIP membership using your DCR 2022 code to pick up that little bit of and then we get a little bit of as well Rob.
1: Everyone's, everyone's happy and to clarify that is Ron Hill the running brand not Ron Hill the uh, train conductor from Greymouth um, we're super excited to share with you the community events that the best little independently owned outdoor store in the known universe Further Faster has coming up Rob Hutchings, you might remember him from such shows as Dirt Church Radio he is the wild swimmer, the epic triathlete uh, monster. He is coming to the store to share the launch of his new book, Downriver Nomad. Now, tickets are $10. It's Tuesday, the 10th of May, 2022, and all proceeds um, go to I Am Hope to help kids who are experiencing uh, mental health difficulties. If you go to 57A, Buchen Street, can never say that properly, in Sydenham, Christchurch, uh, further, faster, Crews in there. They love their outdoors gear. They love the having a chat. They love dogs. They love beers. They love just life, really. And so, go check out Rob. Support a good cause and support our friends at Further Faster, which is www. I'm go something like further, faster. There in Christchurch, Rocky is hairy, and so is Badger. Jules is nice, and Jack is delicious. Go to further, faster now. Oh, further, faster. There in Christchurch, Rocky is hairy, and so is Badger. Jules is nice, and Jack is delicious. Go further, faster now. Ditchit Radio, episode one hundred and eighty, flippin' nine of Ditchit oh, Radio.
2: Oh, that's a lot.
1: It is a lot. Uh, we made it. We made it. We, we were discussing that it's nearly, it's closing in on four years since we started mm. Dirt Church Radio. We, we, we had the good fortune to get out for a little jaunt in the forest on Sunday. Mm. And um, goodness me, if, if, yeah, four years, it seems like an eternity and also like a blink of an eye. But yeah, still yeah. having well, a great did, time.
2: We did have a, uh, a staff meeting. Two. And I have got the minutes here. DCR staff meeting. April 13, twenty two. Present, Matt, Eugene. Apologies, Rigby.
1: And for those wondering, he's not joking. Like there is a there is an <laughs> iPhone note out there with that. We did minute that meeting. But anyway. We did. Yeah. Anyway. Sticking anyway. away from how the sausage is made. Um holy moly Troy Sachs last week
2: what a beast yeah
1: look we apologize uh in advance for the kind of the blue mountain internet issues that you know dude you did such an incredible job of like landing the ship um but my god what a, what an incredible incredible athlete what a human being what a force of nature
2: yeah yeah i mean i think um there was something for everyone on that chat wasn't there um what a, yeah, what an incredible athlete and huge, huge goals. It's going to be fascinating to see how he takes on the next few years. But look, I also heard from a lot of people who have also had encounters with nudists. Right. Uh, some at the same place that I saw them. Oh, balls Rock. Uh, on Waiheke Island. <laughs> yeah, also had people who had to stop running because they were laughing so much at our chat about it. So sorry about that, team.
1: <laughs> hey, there's nothing funny about nudism. Okay, yeah. it's natural. Um
2: no. uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. If it's your thing, that's cool.
1: I saw hey, something uh, this other, week, I, John I did, and Lester. Well, I did see something. Oh, sorry. Pivoting back to nudity, I did see something someone put on one of those meme pages about how uh, I just discovered that naked running means running without a GPS or or, <laughs> or like a phone. And I wish someone had told me that an hour earlier. And then I <laughs> and then uh, you know I thought about uh, Dougie Kyle. You know. He's He, oh, he yes. combines naturalism and and distance running as well. So
2: He, he does. He does, actually. That's true. That's true. Anyway, sorry, to get us back on track. Yes. You see what I did there? Uh, Johnny Lester, Kiwi race car driver, uh, tearing it up in the GT classes, um, which he explains to us what GT racing is as well. Um, now, as you know from listening to Mark Weber from Episode 76, Car Race Drivers, needs to be fat, yeah. But John Lever, John O is really taking it to the next level, isn't he?
1: Yeah, incredible. I mean, this was a fantastic conversation, really, really privileged to have you know, um, reflective, authentic, you know, mindful. The dude's, you know, the dude's an athlete, and um, it, it just it's that sense, and, and it brings my own prejudice. You know, you think motor racing, oh, that people don't need to be fit. But then, I guess if you're hurtling around a track at 200 miles an hour with enough g-force to snap your neck, you know, uh-huh. you, you need to be very, very fit. And John O yeah. talks about his career. He comes from a, you know, um I guess you'd say New Zealand racing royalty. Uh, his family yeah. with the with the Mansfield's track in Palmerston North, and just talks about his love of running, what it's brought to him, his connection to Carl Reed. To veganism and animal welfare and all that sort of stuff it's just a fantastic, very affirming chat uh, and can 't mm. wait to bring it to you later,
2: yeah, hang around for his the story of his temper trail um, <laughs> adventure <laughs> um, yeah but um yeah how, how have you been Matt this fine Easter weekend
1: yeah, ticking along um I had the the good opportunity to you know push out for a couple of runs over the weekend and and really interesting talking to you and Tom, you know, very, again, sort of reflecting Mm. on very privileged to get out for a couple of runs and talking about with both of you, that sort of the turning of the seasons, how people come to different points in their running and, and where you and Tom are in terms Mm. of, you know, looking ahead to things and just, it, it, it continues that notion of, stoke that I've been talking about the past couple of weeks, you know, still find myself like it's 2015 again or something. I'm watching, I'm watching running films on YouTube. You know, it's, Mm. you know, we put out a running podcast every week. You'd think that I'd be steeped in it, but really, really sort of loving, loving the journey, if that doesn't sound too uh, cliched.
2: You know, just no, absolutely. It's that, it's that place you're in, absolutely, and you've been through a lot, you know, with the coping with the pandemic and all on the front line. So, absolutely, it's great that you're that you're in that place.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. And what mm. about yourself?
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Had a, had a pretty good, pretty good time. Got out for a couple of good runs. Um, enjoyed park run. Enjoying park run again. It's good to be back. Um, and caught up, caught up with a few people there, including Ken Kunal.
1: I saw your selfie game.
2: Hasn't improved. Well, no, it hasn't no. really. It hasn't really. Anyway, anyway. Um, we should get on with the show. All right. Here we go. Start
1: um,
2: look, I took your advice, speaking about watching running movies, and I watched the Billy Yang uh, double crossing of the Grand Canyon. Rim to movie. rim to rim.
1: Amazing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, I can see what, oh, why you loved it. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, apart from the scenery, I, there was such great metaphors in it. Um, you know how we're all on our own journey, but we're in it together. Um, yeah, there's. Some, I mean, he does such a great job with those with those movies, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, and the thing that I kind of always strikes me about Billy, and I don't know if it's a, uh, there's always a, a very sort of, it's almost like it's such a deliberateness. To him, or uh, almost a sense of melancholy. Uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it. You know, there's that slightly hmm. melancholic, like, but still yeah. stoked. It was it's beautiful. Again, you know, uh, a person who's never had a bucket list. I'm, I'm now looking at that, going, that's something that I, I really want to do. And I, yeah. I guess speaking about rocks, and if you've been living under a rock, you would have known that uh, between this episode and the last episode we did with Troy, uh, Ultra Trail Australia has been postponed.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no. yeah. I mean, we kind of, you know, we w- were alluding to it, when we, on mm. last week's episode, um, uh, with Troy talking about the weather conditions there, and we sort of, um, you know, we had all our, our, you know, had everything crossed. But, um, yeah, it was it was Wednesday, wasn't it, when the episode came out that um, the announcement was made that uh, they were going to have postponed till, till October. And I was talking to Mark Green, who was mentioned in the podcast last week, coaches, Troy, and he said, yeah, absolutely, right, call. Cool. Just um, doing it pretty tough up there in the in the Blue Mountains. So um, for those of you, especially over in Australia, who are looking forward to UTA, um, you know, I guess, got a few more months training to go.
1: Yeah, and on, I, October. and on that with Troy, just terif- terrifying, terrifying how – Fired up he's gonna be come October and how much Oh, can you imagine it? <laughs> it appears that the knob has been turned up to eleven and snapped off. Um Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Me. Yeah, yeah.
1: All right. Greatest, Greatest run, run ever. ever. Greatest run ever. Greatest run ever, which is the part of the show where we ask you to write into us and tell us your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit, it might just be a run around a block, something that's sung to you for some reason. Send it into us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. And this is from Lauren Bradbury, and this starts with a dedication. And she says, The greatest run. This greatest run is dedicated to the wonderful human that is Kerry Suter and the beautiful Allie Pottinger. Their support, encouragement, infectious humor, and the broader squadron family got me to the finish line of this event. My greatest run ever is my first ever ultra running the Ultra Trail Australia 50K in 2019. To understand this journey, I need to take you back to my first UTA experience in 2017. At that point in time, I'd been road running for a few years and had a few half marathons under my belt. Two thousand seventeen were the good old days when you didn't need to take a day off work to secure your coveted UTA spot. And I'd never heard a friend <laughs> <laughs> and I'd heard a friend talking about it just two weeks out from race day. A day in the mountains sounds fun, I said to myself. So I entered the 22K. I did zero research on the course, did not own trail shoes and boldly took my usual road half nutrition of a couple of gels. Almost five hours later, I dragged my hypothermic, soggy leech-covered self. <laughs> Good on you Australia. Over uh-huh. the finish line, burst into tears and swore never again. Twelve months later, with some more training under my belt and eyes very much open, I entered the 22km again and had a fabulous day. That was it. I was hooked on the magic trail running and firmly set my sights on the 50km the following year. In my 38 years on this planet, I'm not sure I've ever been so doggedly focused on a goal. I signed up with Squad as soon as I had secured my 50-kilometer entry after hearing the wonderful things about their coaches and having witnessed the Squadron community in action with the cries of Go Squaddy during the previous year's event. I stuck to that program like glue, sought help and advice when I needed it with Kerry and Ellie, always happy to help. Four months out from race day, saw disaster strike when I suffered a nasty ankle sprain while on a training run in the mountains. Like all good runners... I ignored the magnitude of the problem, rested it, in air quotes, for a couple of weeks and pressed on with my program. And she says, please know I'm nowhere advocating for such idiocy but, idiocy, but runners are going to do what runners are going to do. Things are going pretty well with my long runs progressing. I remember finishing my longest run ever of 30 kilometers and feeling like I couldn't possibly go further than doing a 35 kilometer mountain loop a couple of weeks later. Race day was in sight. Taper began, and whilst running my local park run, rolled my stupid ankle again. I remember talking to friends and family who all commiserated. There's always next year, they said. No chance. I'd worked so hard for this. I was not missing that start line, even if it meant crawling out of Kadumba to get to the finish finally race day arrived i lined up on the start line in wave seven aka the party wave we rounded the first corner and hit the first hill of the day my strategy for the day was to hard hike the hills and jog shuffle crawl the rest i made it to the 17 kilometer checkpoint at fairmont in pretty good shape sweaty hugs with hubby water refill and a handful of chips made it to the halfway mark and was slow jogging to into the qv station at 28k where the atmosphere was buzzing. I headed out for the last 22 kilometers knowing there was no turning back now. A timely message of encouragement from a friend reminding me that I knew the section of the course like the back of my hand. It was a slow descent down kadamba watching the 100 kilometer elites fly by i made it to the 41 kilometer emergency station at halipad and realized that maybe just maybe my original goal time could happen i pushed hard on that last climb out of kadamba head torch came out at lira and as much as i wanted to push the race the terrain was not ankle friendly i began passing people who all called out words of encouragement in the dark i smashed the last of my gels at the bottom of the infamous ferber steps and began climbing out of the dark, you could hear struggling runners in front and behind, cursing coming out of the darkness, and even one poor person spewing down the side of the mountain. <gasps> Trial goodness, my ass. Sounds like a proper <laughs> Australian race, but a spewing. <laughs> I got to the top just before the boardwalk and realized my watch had just ticked over my target goal and I burst into tears. A nearby spectator reassured me it was okay. I was almost finished. I somehow mustered what felt like a sprint, but it probably looked like a zombie shuffled across the line in just over 10 hours. I threw my hands in the air, burst into tears and took the hug offered by one of the awesome volunteers handing out medals. She somehow found my husband in the crowd and handed me off to him for more sweetie hugs as someone placed a cold beer in my hand. Greatest run ever.
2: Wow. Bit of a uh, bit of ankle injury, bit of bit of tears, bit of vomit. Drama. Everything.
1: Drama. Drama. Triumph. Oh. Thanks, Laura. I bet that medal went straight to the pool room.
2: Oh, but the beer went straight down the hatch That's as well. That's right. Oof. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you, Laura. Uh, the rest of you, send them in. And and what a great tribute to Kerry and Ellie. They will Love that, I'm sure. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Well-deserved. Mm. All right, on to, our, on to our main event, Jono Lester. I mean, I contacted Jono when I saw him on popped up on Carl Reed's Instagram. He was doing hot laps around. He's used to doing hot laps in, like, a very expensive, very fast car. He was doing hot laps around his hotel room in Taipei. He'd moved the bed and he... <laughs> And he did these two hot laps and got a PB. By the way, um, and of course he did. A b- bit of investigating. This man is infectious. He is authentic. He is. Uh, I mean, you'll hear the conversation flows. He's he's a great uh, he's a great narrator. He's a great talker. Uh, he's got a lot of amazing stuff to say, and it's great to hear someone who talks about a sport which is so every micro nano gram second is controlled and then he talks about sort of the joy and the openness of of, of getting to share this journey of running so you know goodness me what an amazing conversation with Jono Radio. All right on the line from Taipei is Jono Lester. Jono kia ora, welcome to Dirt Church Radio how are you holding up man?
0: I'm good lads and, and thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I was just saying before we started recording, been listening to this pod for a couple of years now, uh, since I've sort of started getting into running myself. So yeah, to be asked on is a, is a bit of an honor. Um, I, I'm such a, a fanboy of, of running these days, uh, even though it's not my, my chosen profession. And, um, so yeah, that's why I'm up here in Taipei. I'm, I'm in the middle of quarantine at the moment, uh, about to get my, my race season started up here. Uh, so I'm on day nine now when we're recording, and I'll be out in three more, and uh, and back out into freedom. And I've picked a bunch of trails here that I want to try before we go testing in the race car. So I've already got it all planned out. So I'm really excited. <laughs> that's,
1: that's amazing. I mean, to be more specific, like you said, the running's not your chosen profession, but you're in Taipei doing your chosen profession. What are you up to?
0: Yeah. So. Uh, a racing driver is my, my job. Um, I get to live my passion, which is bloody awesome. Um, I, I grew up in the sport. I'm from Palmy originally. Um, so I sort of grew up at the, the Manfield race circuit down there. My grandparents were sort of behind putting that circuit together, building it and then uh, running it for about 30 years before they retired too. So uh, naturally, as you can imagine, with a family running a racetrack, um, I sort of grew up in that environment. My, my granddad uh, was a was a driver as well. My my father was, my auntie was, um, all being national champions in their own right. Uh, so I sort of naturally followed suit as a third generation. So um, <clears throat> that's sort of been my life um, until COVID. COVID obviously hit, and you know it was a tough time for everyone. Certainly very tough for me as a as an athlete, not to be able to to do what I love, um, particularly in, in motor racing. You know we got a great history in New Zealand, but um the the local scene isn't quite what it once was. Um, it's certainly not what it was when I was coming up, sort of 10, 15 years ago. So to really make a career out of this, like I guess like most sports, apart from rugby and cricket, I guess, you've you've really got to go overseas. So for me to sort of have my wings clipped in that sense when COVID hit, um, that was that was really tough. Um, so this trip now to, to Taipei, this is my first overseas trip in, well, since COVID started, um, and man, I felt like a kid again getting back on the plane. Uh, I, I really took, started taking things like that for granted, um, well, again, until COVID hit, like many things in life, and so now that we're starting to get some of those freedoms back, um, it's like I'm living it all over for the first time again, so I'm, I'm very grateful to be able to have a second chance, for sure. Um, so to answer your question too, man, I, I, I chat a lot, I, I talk a lot, but um, to answer your question as to what I'm doing specifically here uh, is I will be driving um, an Audi here in, uh, in tai- Taiwan, uh, then I'll be jetting across to, uh, to Bangkok uh, after my first event here where I'll be driving a Mustang um, and I'm a contractor so I have the, the benefit or the, um, the excitement of being able to drive a variety of different cars around Asia um, So I'm I'm constantly trying to find different things to pad out my calendar as well. Um, Predominantly, what I race is uh, called GT or GT3 cars. So, yeah, Ferraris and Lamborghinis and all of those sexy things that you know young boys and probably most young people aspire to to own one day. I don't own one, but I get paid to drive one, so it's pretty cool. <laughs> can, can you explain?
1: I mean, one of the things that I'm, I mean. I, it all, full disclosure, I know almost nothing about motorsport. Can you explain to me the difference between
0: like, f- what a Formula One car is and what is a GT? Sure man, so um, Formula One, for most of your listeners who, let's say, aren't car people or who don't follow motor racing, um, I'm sure they've still seen uh the previews for drive to Survive on Netflix. That's really elevated the sport as a whole into the public eye, into the the general public a lot more the last three or four years. So I actually get asked this question quite a bit um by people. And and so Formula One is is the pinnacle of of our sport. But like running, there are very there are many different disciplines in in motor racing. You know, running, you can be an you know, athletics uh, short course runner. You can do your marathon, trails, whatever it may be, ultra marathons. It's the same in motor racing. Um, but with our, with our sport, it's rather than being different lengths, it's more so different, obviously, types of cars. Um, so f ones the pinnacle. That's your, um, you know, your your sort of grand slam, if you like, of, of motor racing. Um, that's where the most money is. That's where the most fame is and, and whatnot. But there are multiple avenues in which you can make a career out of the sport um, outside of that. Uh, and so GT is one of those. You've also got things like IndyCar, which we've obviously got a couple of Kiwis in with Scott Dixon and, and Scott McLaughlin. You've got the V8s in Australia, which down under, of course, is the king. You know, that's the thing that people follow the most, following SVG and, and the other Kiwis there. Um, then you've got stuff like, obviously, Rally. Um, Hayden Padden, again, big name there from, from New Zealand. Um, so there's many different disciplines. GT is uh, is based off um, uh, the, I guess the aspirational and, and um, luxury road cars that uh, that you see out on the roads. So the silhouette of our race cars, let's say a, a Ferrari, um, is similar in in concept to say a nice Ferrari you'd see on the road, but it is um, built in the factory. As a race car. So it's not a road car that you put some some sticky tyres on and and a bit more aerodynamics and you go. It is a racing version of the road car concept. Um, So it's got its own production line, um, just like the normal road cars, but they are built specifically for the track. There's about 20 to 25 different brands who compete in in GT3. So it's a, a globally homologated um, formula whereby uh, any brand, a Porsche or an Audi, or um, it could be things like um, Ford in, in America or, or Toyota in, in Japan, um, they will uh, select a, a model that they want to um, promote through motorsport in our, in our category. They submit that to the FIA, which is our governing body, um, and they build a car that fits uh, a certain set of blueprints. Now, before any of these cars can actually hit the track and go racing, they need to undergo a series of tests um, on a, in equal conditions to make sure that they are all relatively the same. So unlike, say, Formula One, um, where in, in many cases it's just who's got the most money and, and the most brains insofar as technology is concerned and, and access to, to technology with resource, um, it's a lot more regulated in what I do, whereby Um, by manipulating the the weight and the the power, and if it's a turbo car, the boost, and various other little uh, parts of our vehicles, we can bring them all within about 1% of each other. Um, So that when we go and hit the track, uh, still, yes, every car has its own strengths and weaknesses in, in different corners and different climates and whatnot, but by and large, the cars are very much the same. So you can have a grid of 30 cars, 20 different badges on them, um, all within, let's say, a second a lap of each other or over a 90 to 100 second lap. Um, but the the spectacle for fans is you've got every different type of engine note possible and you've got big Bentleys versus low-slung Ferraris and, and you know, Batmobile-looking Lamborghinis and all of this, all on the track at the same time, tussling toe-to-toe. Um, and it really does come down to then the, you know, the driver being a, a, a smart racer, B, obviously talented and fast, but also then C, um, having a, a very skilled engineer who can um, obviously work within quite a, a disciplined and, and and tight set of rules to still find that little mm. 1% advantage to get ahead of the rest of the pack. So it's very much a team sport. Um, it's a real cliche because, you know, we're the guys at the wheel. We're the ones who hoist the trophies and spray the champagne. But um, but we are as much of a team sport as rugby or anything else. Um, but there's, you know, dozens and, and of people in the background and in and, and my particular case who who perhaps don't get, you know, the, the credit they deserve. But without each one of those people doing their job properly, we don't win. Mm. So I, I love it, looking, man. I, I love it. I was looking at uh, Scotty
1: Stevenson's Instagram the other week and he was showing the, and it was an F1 thing, Mm-hmm. Uh, open top, looks like a Batmobile. Very fast. He was looking. He was showing the pit crew rehearsals, like how fast and strong and choreographed those human beings are. That looks like an incredibly
0: dangerous it, and it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, and the again speaking of with Formula One, of course being the, the pinnacle. And I'm picking that Scotty was probably in Melbourne when you. Saw yes, this. he was. Yeah, um,
1: yeah.
0: Now you know those pit crews. They go through the same. Uh, meticulous training regimen, well, not the same, but their own particular training regimen. And I'm talking physical fitness. Um, they, they do their yoga. They do their, their daily exercise. Um, they're essentially like, um, you know, they, they, your, your front rowers in the rugby team. They've got, they're still part of the main training pack, but they do their own specific discipline for the pit stop. But they also work with, um, you know, with, um, sort of sports neuroscientists to make sure their hand-eye coordination and, and all um, up top is absolutely on point because if you think about doing a two-second pit stop, changing four wheels and, and doing all this other stuff that they do, um, the the pinpoint accuracy is as you are guiding the, the wheel gun onto the wheel as a car's coming in at over 100 kilometres an hour and stopping on a dime, uh, if you're not um, you know physically and mentally absolutely peaking then you might not be able to locate that properly on the wheel or you for whatever other reason might make a mistake that one second in formula one could cost you four or five positions and mm. and that's you know that's your race over yeah you, so, don't,
2: you don't want the bloke with the dodgy knee going down to change a tire
0: do you no mate you don't you don't <laughs> and so that's why you you don't see any uh yeah, you, know, you don't see any big truck drivers on a pit crew. <laughs> yeah.
2: So you, you're a bit of a so you're a, a gun for hire, as it were. So you, are I you, am. Yeah, are yeah. You, are you based in Asia in, in, in non-COVID times? Is that is that what you do? You go up there and base yourself up there and, and and travel around, or how does how does it work?
0: This year, I I will be. This is actually the first year in my professional career where I'll be living here. Um, in the past and and. I've been racing in Asia since 2012. So for the eight years up to COVID, um, I was still based in NZ and I commuted back and forth, which gave me sort of the best of both worlds at the time. I was young, you know, I was 19, 20 years old when I first started doing this. So doing 12 to 15 return trips a year, I didn't mind it. You were traveling the world. Uh, It was an adventure. Um, Probably didn't realize at the time that, the, the toll that takes on you over the course of a year uh, until I hit my mid-20s. You know, that's that, that does really take its toll. And you sort of get to October and you, you're burnt out. Um, but it also meant I could go home and I could spend time with my family, you know, very close with my my grandparents before my, my nan passed. So I, I spent as much time with them as I could between races back home because they were really integral in in Getting me to where I am. So they're very, you know, mm. special to me in that sense as well. Um, sort of part of my support crew, if you like. And so, yeah, I, I sort of did it that way. Um, it had its, its, uh, pros and cons. And I think throughout COVID, throughout the reflection over those, you know, long two years inside your own head sitting at home, I firstly, A, wanted to obviously get back here, uh, and, and continue doing what I love, which was never, a given it doesn't matter how good you've gone i mean the world's reset now right mm. um but b i was thinking well how you know looking back over these sort of eight or nine years how do i improve my my performance and, and my offering how do i make myself uh, indispensable to, to teams because by and large a driver believe it or not in motor racing is the most dispensable component um, we're almost bottom of the pile, um, so there's no such thing unless you're a what's called a factory driver, where you let's say drive for a Porsche, you're a Porsche driver. If you're a a contractor like me, like most drivers, um, you there's no such thing as a, a, a multi year contract. Okay, um, a lot of them are handshake deals, uh, and you get to every Christmas, and you have to figure out how you're going to put bread on the table for next year. So. Obviously, any way that you can stand out over and above your your performance on track, you need to to really take into account and make sure that you um, you know maximise that. So I looked at my you know my whole sort of um, offering and, and realised, okay, well coming flying in and out each race um, as a gun for hire, as you say, um, means that you're really not able to um, forge genuine relationships with your employer and you know for a lot of the people teams that we drive for these are these are wealthy businessmen who motorsports their passion uh it's but it's also their hobby it's their golf game so if i'm on a plane home on a sunday night after a race even if it won um rather than going out for dinner with the team having a couple of beers and and building that that rapport then come the end of the year, yes, Jono has won us a few races, but how close have we become as mm-hmm. friends, you know? And, and there's a balance between work and play there um, or personal relationships and business relationships. And I think that's something that has probably worked against me. So um, so when COVID obviously started to, to drop off, as of late and, and travel became possible again. Um, I made the decision before I even had a, a contract for the year that I was going to move up here. And if I if I got here, right here, as we're talking right now, and I still didn't have a drive, I was just going to figure it out. Um, I love Asia. I, I really love the culture, the food. Um, it's not foreign to me. You know, I've been here a lot over the years and uh, I sort of knew that um, with the, the networks that I've built um, and the attitude that I have, um, especially now, I feel like I've, you know, I've got more gratitude for what I've got because it was taken away. Mm. Um, so I figured that, yep, I'm just going to take a chance, take a punt, bite the bullet, get over here, and, and it'll work itself out. Thankfully, before I left, I, I had two logged in, but when I made the decision back in October, that wasn't the case. And uh, but the moment that i made that decision and I actually had some direction again, life was just in a much better place. Yeah. You know, all the, the uncertainty of, of, mm. um, of that COVID period. And obviously we're not out of it yet, but we're out of the worst of it. Hopefully yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that uncertainty and, and, and in my case, lack of purpose, um, that was what was the hardest to, to stomach every day when, when uh, the alarm went off, you know? Yeah. So um, so I'm very, yeah, grateful to be back here and I think I've made the right decision. Even in quarantine, having no distractions these like this past week, I've I've really been working hard and I've ticked so many boxes that at home, you know, maybe you would have procrastinated a bit more. So even just while I've been sitting in this small room um in Taipei, I've picked up a couple of extra opportunities throughout the year to to sort of Bolster the calendar some more, yeah. and uh, and like I say, race as much as I can and make the most of the the back half of my career now. So, well, you, bring it on, man! I'm really excited. <laughs> you, you're doing what you love and and what you're good at, yeah, man. And, and so you know, foot foot
2: to the floor, as it were. But look, you mentioned what you offer outside of the race car and so on, and you know your application to it outside of the race car. And of course, one of those aspects is running. So tell us how running began for you and how it fits in with you as a driver?
0: Yeah, well, how it fits in with me as a driver, you know, I'd, I'd love to tell you that um, that it it was because, uh, you know, I started running because I wanted to be better in a racing car. But to be honest with you, like, it, it's, it's not really a secret now that motor racing drivers, we are athletes. You know, in the past, that hasn't been perhaps well known. A lot of my life I've had to uh, justify to people why I even need to go to the gym. Um, when you're younger, that sort of, you know, you sort of take that negatively. When Now that I'm a bit older, I'm just like, hey, if you don't know, you don't know. Mm. Um, I know what I need to do to perform. But um, we we are constantly searching for, uh, for different types of training that are going to be um as relevant to, to motor racing as possible so throughout my life i've I've tried and, and, and experimented with pretty much every diet and, and type of training possible um, and you know that the thing with our sport unlike most sports is that we can't train doing our sport it's too expensive it's not it's not feasible not economically or, or financially feasible so we have to find other ways of, of doing what we do so you know there's a broad mix of Uh, of training and and most drivers at the professional level you'll see doing some form of uh, triathlon discipline over and above your general resistance and strength training in the gym Um, and other things that you know that that they're interested in because again as you guys well know um, any form of fitness you have to enjoy Um, so I've always really loved training ever since I got into it when I started taking my racing seriously I've um, I've trained really hard, probably harder than most, and um, for many, many years, I, I thought I was really fit, and I guess I was fit in a, in a general sense, but when I started running, I realized how unfit I really was, <laughs> and, and I think everyone's got a story like that, right? So, um, it was a pretty simple sort of introduction whereby a good friend of mine got um, had a wager with his uh, girlfriend at the time, it's now his wife, to do the Hawks Bay half. This was back in 2018, right, right at the start of 2018. And so, you know, to sort of take on any challenge like that, it's better if you do it with a mate, right? So he WhatsApped me and said, "Hey man, um, you know Natalia's just just dared me to do this run. Um, do you want to do it with me?" and I said, yeah, man, sounds good. Sounds like fun, something new, something different. Uh, so we had whatever it was, three months before the event. And so I said, cool, let's let's get started. So I literally put down the phone and, and I went out for a run. And I think I ran like, I don't know, 7K around the neighborhood. And it absolutely gassed me, man. I was absolutely rooted. And for two or three days, I could hardly walk. And I was thinking, what have I got myself? Self into but because I obviously had a goal in mind rather than just running for running's sake I uh, kept at it didn't really know um, what I was doing but I think one of the, the beauties of uh, being involved in motor racing which is a, a sport that's very much about um, perfection and one percenters and uh, so I really started studying things like technique and um, you know, zone two training and various other disciplines that would that would make sure that, yeah, I'm going to line up on the start line for my first half, but I want to do this properly. I'm not here to piss around, you know. So um, sort of just went out for runs and it was pretty much just road running at the time. Um, turned up on the start line at, at, uh, at Hawks Bay and once we got into it, uh, again, I do endurance racing and, and motor racing, so Another strength that I found, whilst I'm not a natural runner, um, was knowing how to pace myself. And every event I've done, and, and I'm sure you guys are, can attest, <laughs> every, every bloody event I've done since in running, man, and there's probably been 10 or 11 now, um, you get those guys who out the gate just absolutely bolt. And I'm so, I'll, you know, you just say in your head, I'll see you guys in 20, 25 minutes. And, and sure enough, you nine, nine out of 10 of them, you do. Um, so we got into to the pack and I I realized after about five or six K that A, I was tracking along pretty well, but B, um, my, my sort of internal engine in my mind was in um, race mode and the race mode that I know. So I was in the guy's slipstream and I was basically, you, you get hypnotized by the feet in front of you, right? You watch the person's feet in front of you and you sort of get into the zone and Yeah, you're not going to be blowing by them at 100 mile an hour like I'm used to, but you set them up. It's like a chess game, right? And you just chip away, chip away, chip away. And that that sort of competitive element and that strategy got me through to, well, through to the finish, basically. Um, And I had a pretty good run. Like I was, my first half, I think I was four seconds over ducking under 90 minutes. So it wasn't bad. Um, I think it was like a 4.13 average, which I, you know, like I was 10 kilo heavier than I am now. I I had a lot more muscle on. I gymmed a lot more. Um, So, you know, it wasn't too bad a result. And I, but I really, I really enjoyed it. I, I was like, this is so much fun. How can running be so much fun? And so from there, we had a little crew that had grown, um, who all did this event together and we all really enjoyed it. We had a nice weekend away in the Hawks Bay and we were like, well, let's do this again. You know, this is a healthy way to go away together. And yeah, we can have a few drinks after and, and, and kick back, but we've, we've done something good for ourselves. So I sort of suggested, well, why don't we, why don't we mix it up and why don't we do something off road? Because, um, you know, it's better on the body, you know, better on the joints and whatnot. And as I later found out, the, the mindfulness practice of, of trails um, and being in nature um, is just absolute bliss. Um, so, got home, I was in Karaka, so I started heading out the hanuas got some pretty grunty trails out there and, and doing some, some miles out there and started doing the Xterra stuff. Um, again, with the same group of friends, really enjoyed those events Um, and you know so they're all around that sort of half marathon um, distance It's pretty much what all of the the exteriors are and realized that yep like I understand the, um, the the technique and the discipline required for road running but it is harder on the body and it's it's all about the stats right it's all about the Garmin it's all about your pace and your splits and all of these other things, and so um, it's not running for the joy of running so much. Yes, it can be, but for me at that point in time, if I went out to run on the road, it was all about how how quick I could go. Whereas the trails, wasn't about that, and so I really, I really loved that aspect of it. Um, and so when COVID sort of hit. Uh, that was a a saving grace for me was, was having that outlet. Um, And you guys have talked about it with many of your guests, you know, having running in your, your arsenal as a, as an outlet during COVID um, from a mental health perspective has really been a savior. So um, I probably just to loop back to, to your initial question of how I got into running, it was, it was just through that, you know, a friend wanted to do a half and, look, I've, I've come and gone from it a little bit over those three to four years, but when I really started to um, to get into a, a disciplined, regular routine of running was um, probably the start of last year, started, 20, uh, sorry, 2020. Wait, no, 21, 21, last year, getting mixed up. Um, I know, it's what you it man. Yeah. yeah, I know, <laughs> man. It's a bit like that, right? And and I ended up meeting Carl Reed. Obviously, a multiple guest of yours, and I'd followed Carl on on Strava because I'd seen I'd seen that video being Carl Reed that was done, um, you know, with mm. Tatuera, and I was like, man, this guy's really f- cool, and, and he was covered in tats, and he had a he he had a really cool attitude that, um, and he was you know very open and honest about his. Um, you know his anxiety and, and why he runs and and his his you know he took failure in his stride and used that as a motivating factor and um so I, I started following him on Strava as you do when you you come across a new runner. That's generally the first place you look now before Instagram or anywhere else. And uh and um then I followed him on, on Instagram and realized that he was a bit of a real head too. Uh, so I think he ended up following me back on 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 Strava, and we sort of interacted on a few of our our runs, our posts, and the comments. And uh, when I was stuck here during COVID, and we, I was trying to keep race fit. I was doing a little bit of racing locally, um, and so I had an event coming up at uh, at Hampton Downs. So I just DM'd him and said, "Hey, man, like, look, we haven't met, we've chatted a bit." But I know you're into your cars. Um, would you like to come in and join us? So he he said, "Hell yeah!" And he brought his wife Paula out, and they spent the entire day uh, with us in the pit garage. And again, as an athlete from another discipline and <laughs> another coming into another sport, you could see his appreciation mm-hmm. for for motor racing, just like me on the on the reciprocal for him as a as a top ultra runner. So he you could see him just analysing everything, watching from, from from afar, fly on the wall type of thing, watching the the live telemetry on the big screens and the and the pits and, and how things were unfolding and the strategy and our pit stops and driver changes and all these things. And he was sort of soaking it all in. Um, and I, I felt for, for his wife because she was stood there with him the whole day. But he did tell me after that, um, that she really bloody enjoyed it too, which was even better. Um, so we sort of, Hit it off that day, um, and he he offered to to give me some coaching, uh, which we started to do. Um, and I'd never really done much speed work in my my program. Um, Rich Roll's kind of been my my um, uh, the guy I've sort of tried to emulate my training off because. Um, he inspired me to go plant-based three or four years ago, or three years ago now, and when I read his book, and so I've sort of followed a lot of what he does, and so he's big on his Zone 2 stuff, right? And obviously, when you look at speed work, that's a lot more scientific than just running at a certain heart rate. So I, I kind of just base the majority of my training around Zone 2, um, and... You know, mix up the terrain and the distances and whatnot, but that was kind of it. And Carl said to me, he's like, "Nah, dude, he's like, it's great, but you need to you need to work in your hill repeat sessions. You need to work in your your interval sessions at the at the track or, or out on the road. You need to do your fart licks or whatever else it may be, um, and and have a little bit more of a structured program so that you build the speed work in, and and you will reap the rewards in your long runs, um." And, I mean, who am I to argue with that, right? <laughs> Coming from him, like well, what would you anyone else we, might question yeah. it. But, yeah, so I was like, okay, man. And, and so we we started training, and it was hard training. Like, not not, not hard in a, in a sense of the workouts themselves. Like, they were hard, but I really enjoyed that. I, like, the most fun I have now with running is interval day. I really love pushing myself to the, you know, in a motorsport term, to the rev limiter. Um, but the, the, the upping the mileage was hard, you know, getting up to sort of 100, 100 plus K weeks. Um, in addition to all the other training I was doing that was motorsport focus, um, you know, they, they were long weeks and um, and the body was just holding up. But eventually I, I picked up a back injury. Um, the start of the last level four lockdown, the one in August last year, so at the time, Carl and I had been sort of working closely together um, on a coaching sense for probably two, two and a half months. It had been going really well. We'd, I'd gone out running with him a few times down on like the the, the trails down there, um, uh, uh, Pyro and stuff, you know, that river mm-hmm. trail down there and bits and pieces. And yeah. we built a friendship and and it was, it was so fun. Like those – 4:30 AM starts to drive out to Waiuku and meet him and, and head, head out for a run. with the best day of the week on a Sunday, it was it was really um, you know fulfilling uh, sort of time for me. Um, and picked up this injury. Um, and Carl was the first guy I messaged and I, and I was like, oh man, like I've I've, I've got a, a L3 L4 compression from a, a racing incident many years ago, which. Um, just every now and then will flare up and then it kicks sciatica in. And if you've ever had sciatica, you know, it's not a good time. And because we're in level four, I couldn't get any treatment. Mm. Um, I couldn't get any, any relief from the, you know, the inf- inflammation that was, was catching on my sciatic nerve. So what should have really been five or six or seven days became five or six weeks. Um, And I really spiralled, man, like uh, my mental health was just in the toilet Um, because, you know, we were back in level four. We thought we were on the other side of COVID. And I already had to cancel what little racing I had in New Zealand because, again, you know, no events. Um, So sort of had that taken away from me. And the only sort of purpose I had at, at that point in time was running, was getting up every day and knowing that I still had that. When i lost that for that period my i it was just like i was at the end of my tether and uh i just lost lost all motivation i was just in a real deep hole uh, it wasn't a it wasn't a good time i sort of shut everyone off and 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 you know i've i've had situational depression throughout my career in the last particularly the last 3 or 4 years as you get a bit older and and more weathered um mm-hmm. but this this was a hard one and you know i i Basically, didn't run again for uh, until December. Just gone, so it was about three months off. A couple of times when I started to come back, I would come back um, too hard and get shin splints or something stupid, and then have to take another two weeks off. And I was just like, "My God, all I want to do is just go running," you know. Mm. Like I, I just, I love, I love this so much. It's my It's my happy place. And and I, you know, I've I've said this a couple of times now and and I mean it. Like I it actually it it means more to me um across the board than motor racing. Um it's it's yeah, it's you against you, right? Motor racing, I love it, it's my passion. There's not there's nothing better. And the moment when you cross the line and, and it's all come together as a, as a team and you, you know, your whole body is fizzing with, with adrenaline. Um, it's, it's the best drug in the world, that feeling, but motor racing, there's so many factors that can go against you, which can become excuses, but running, man, like if you, if you run well, it's because of, the work you've put in, and you can really feel proud of yourself for that. So, you've got that element to it. You've got the mindfulness element to it, um, and just the fact that you know, no matter where you are, you can lace your shoes up, head out the door, and go and explore a new place, like I'm about to do in a couple of days in a new country here. And it's freedom, man. You know. Mm. So, um, so yeah. When I when I had that injury, it was it was tough. Um, but when I got, when I came back into it, I took a new, um, a new mindset. And this is something that's translated across all of my training. Now, I loved, I loved what Carl taught me, but I put too much pressure on myself. And because I was working on a seven day block week on week on week to hit certain targets. Um, if I, didn't quite reach them then you feel like you failed right Mm -hmm. and i've already get already get enough of that driving race cars and running is more important to me as an escape and as something that makes me happy than it is about going and doing a half or a marathon or an ultra and placing so um so i i gave carl a call or actually might have seen him one or the other, and I said, hey, look, dude, I said, just so you know, because you know, he messaged me, he said, good to see you back into your running and you've you know, got a bit of discipline back. And he said, do you want to do the coaching again? And I said, look, maybe one day if we have a, a, an event to plan for. But um, but my, my mindset now is to he- head out the door and, yeah, I'm going to go for a run today, don't know how long, don't know how fast, don't know where I'm going to turn left or right, and I'm going to stop when I feel like it. And that's how I've trained since the, since December 1, which is the day I started running again. And all of my training now, whether it's in the gym or doing yoga or whatever, is not a set time or a set target, pace, whatever. It's just do it for the love of doing it. And I have never had so much fun moving. Mm. So um, whilst I still intend on doing events and, and there's plenty of events on my bucket list including Tarawira and others and Wu 2 k when they do the real one again because I was there when, which one of you were there last year? Both, both of us yeah both of you because I, I heard the pod I was there and I was like oh my god here we go and I had Simon Crockman was was in a, another hotel and we were messing, messaging each other when the bloody buildings were half falling down the night before thinking was even going to happen so I, I want to do that one as well because that was a grunty course or the portion we did um, but you know, the, those events are, 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 little cherries on top and, and, you know, they'll give you a, something to aim for, but they're not the reason why I enjoy running. So, um, I'm in a really good space now. And, and again, I wouldn't be in this, this headspace if I hadn't basically bottomed out with that injury and, and, and in even just my mental headspace. So, um, after a really rough couple of years on, in, in all senses, uh, where I sit right now is uh, I'm probably the fittest, best shape of my life. Happiest I've been, healthiest I've been, most motivated I've been, um, and you know, I get to chat with you guys about it. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, it's,
1: it's so interesting, isn't it? Like. We've been all been through this collective process and it's it's hit everyone at different times. There's been a sense of collective grief, collective surprise, collective anger, collective bargaining, collective whatever stage of, of of grief. But everyone else has been doing it at their own pace. And and you know, like you said, and it was no pun intended, the, the literal straw that broke the camel's back, right, was the fact that you couldn't go running and, and you'd sh- had your whole career ripped away from you. I, yeah. I mean, you know, I think Eugene and I have both been incredibly lucky that like, you know, we've both been able to keep working. We've both been able to kind of, I mean, and I've got to leave the house every day, which has been awesome. Um, mm. Incredibly privileged to do that. So, but I can, it sounds, it's so good to hear you say that you feel so much kind of relief and I can hear that relief, you know, in this, this sort of process and what, what I wanted to ask you is—is is in terms of it's what strikes me is that reflection in that motor racing is so controlled, right? Like I'm sure, like you look like you're in very, very, very good physical shape, and you must have to manage your weight, and you must have to manage your intake, and everything must be so controlled, right? Because you're, like you said, you're going for that one oh, yeah. percent. What does it look? What does your day to day look like? Say on race day, or you know, leading up to a race.
0: Talk us through that,
1: and how does your kind of new approach to training, which is like very open ended, fit into that?
0: Yeah, so there the, there is some um, there are some sort of routine things I do every day uh, without fail, and um, one of those is yoga every day. Even if a rest day is still yoga, um, that's something that I started doing every now and then. Pretty much the day we went into the first lockdown with a friend, you know, we were like, well, let's try some some new things. We've got no excuse anymore. So we tried yoga and I was like, this is quite cool. And man, I was, I was like an old piece of dry chewing gum. I was so, so I was just so brittle. And even now, I, I mean, I'm not great, but I've, I've come a long way. But, um, again, that sort of rebuild that I mentioned from December last year, with this new philosophy, what part of that was yoga every day. Um, and yes, it's obviously great for mobility and whatever, but it's also uh, it's a great way to sort of kickstart your day. Again, it's another mindfulness practice. I finish it with just a little bit of, of mindfulness meditation, a um, little bit of gratitude. Uh, you know, five six minutes, nothing nothing um, too crazy. But I do that right at the end of my yoga, and then I have my morning coffee, and and I'm already in a really positive headspace to start the day. Um, the the daily routine. For me, uh, there isn't, beyond things like training, which are always very structured in a sense that they are every day, and they might be at a different time of the day, but they are there, Um, the the daily routine, for me, really depends on what part of the season I'm in. Um, Now, if you're in a race week, obviously, that's a lot different to being in a one-month mid-season break. But because I uh, am self-managed and always have been, um, all elements of my, each drive that I do in, in my career, I handle myself. Um, so very fortunate that I grew up watching my father and my grandma and my pop do all elements of the sport. And I, I've developed a pretty good understanding of the what you need to do commercially um, in motor racing, how to nurture a sponsor and not keep them for a year. I've, I've got my my longest-term personal sponsor I've had since 2008. You know, they're family. Um, so I, I, I build these relationships myself, um, but then I, I maintain and activate and nurture them myself as well. Um, so everything logistically I handle myself. Any contract negotiation I handle myself travel hotels invoicing all of that bullshit i do it all myself um and that's not because i uh, am a micromanager or i'm not prepared to delegate um it's because i i enjoy being in control of my own destiny and also like you know it it helps fill a day to be fair you know because it's we might only do 12 races a year. That's 12 weekends. And there might you might be at the track for three days of that race week. There's like 250 days left. You can't just go running all the time, as much as I'd love to. So the, the general day-to-day is managing my career, managing my interests, um, the teams that I work with. Um, now, if it was a race week, for instance, um, then... I obviously, I will have a, um, a pre-event sort of media and PR plan with regards to distributing press releases, newsletters, um, personal updates to sponsors and whatnot. If there's people coming along to the race to, to watch and hospitality, um, coordinating all of that so that they when they arrive, they're looked after, um, then I know that when I get to the racetrack, I can focus on my job without these outside things being a distraction. Um, Post race, same thing. There's a wrap up, right? If you have a good race, you distribute some PR and some media and whatnot. You do your social posts, do your video wraps. I'll comb through any TV and, and media footage and pluck out um, pluck out interviews and other bits and pieces so that I can calculate the value of TV time. And I put that all in spreadsheets. I do all of that stuff. So I kind of, I'm kind of a, a team in myself, um, or I try to be. Um, I try to cover all bases of um, what I as a brand represent and what metrics I then need to pump out so that the people who support me and and, and pay my salary but also sponsor me, um, what they need to see to attain value or mm. or to, to justify value, should I say. So um, some days are quiet. Some days are really busy. Um, it ebbs and flows, um, but I I kind of like that. You know, I, I don't think I'm wired to do the same thing every day. Um, and some people are, some people aren't. It's, you know, there's no right or wrong. It's just, as you well know, some people are, are wired differently. And I really enjoy um, the variety that my career and the way I structure it affords me. Mm. Um and you know, doing it this way, there's always more risk. When the lows, you know, when you got the low periods or the, the the lean periods, it's tough financially and and whatnot. But when it's when it's good, it's really exciting and and it's worth every second of of graft and 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 uh, you know, blood, sweat, and tears and drama you've gone through to to then reach those those peaks. So, um, so yeah, I kind of take on any role that I need to, to make sure that, um, that I not only perform on the track but perform off it as well. Um, and, you know, as you said, uh, Matt, before, it is a very controlled sport, mm. um, not only with the, the diet and the weight and, and the training and, and whatnot, but um, the way that we have to be portrayed um, in the public eye comments that are made that might be taken out of context mm-hmm. and put into an article, um, things that you say in a live interview in the heat of the moment when maybe you're not happy, you know. Um, and look, by and large, I'm the guy who's still smiling when the car's crashed because I um, I know how poorly it can come across when somebody's negative in a, in a television interview or whatnot. Um, inside, I'm hurting, but I never... I generally come across the way I'm talking to you now pretty pretty upbeat, mm. because um, you know I I think that's a, a, I believe that that's a better approach. Um, there are certain times when being your your raw self are, are necessary, um, but when it comes to a, a structured and again very regimented television interview, um, you've really got to be in a more positive frame of mind, even if it might not be the whole truth. But what I'm getting to here um, is that this podcast era, this is maybe the fourth or fifth one I've done now, and this is the first running one I've done, Um, but there've been different ones. I've done a couple of racing ones. I've done a a vegan plant-based one. I've, I've done a mental health one. And these are the only... Form of media that are uh, produced where I can really be myself, you know, and no one's going to judge you for it. Um, whether it's whether it's you know someone from motorsport media listening, that um, you know there would be certain things in this conversation that if I said that in a in a press release or or a, on a television interview would would be taken out of context or or would be seen in a different light. But this is just a chat, and so. When I did my first podcast, I was like, man, if, if I could just do these for the rest of my life and none of the other stuff, then I would sign me up because this is real. This is real, real shit. You know, I was just having a chat. And uh, so this doesn't work, you know. Um, as you say, this is this is like three mates going for a run, having, having a yarn. So, um, so yeah, I, lo- I love that side of it. But just going back to your, your question there, Matt, it does change day to day, but I, I cover all bases that need to be covered to ensure that um, the, the the people who um, who hire me, but also the people who have supported me along the way, not only in the past but currently, are uh, looked after and that they feel valued. Because you know, I see a lot of a lot of drivers. Well, not 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 only this generation coming through, but even in my generation, who um, someone writes out a big check to to sponsor you or to support you. Now, this could be a commercial decision for um, for the the branding on the car and and the B two B opportunities and in, in a swanky hospitality suite to to do business deals and all of these things. But you also get people who sponsor you just because they like you and they want to be part of the journey because they want to support you. then maybe they like. They like racing, and it's exciting to them. They don't really care if they get a return on their investment. But no matter which of those two scenarios it is, um, a lot of a lot of people take their money, and then it's like, oh, well, I've got the money now. You know, I don't need to nurture this relationship. Mm. So when those when those relationships break down, it could take two or three years. It might be over in one year. Um, you've really got no one to blame but yourself, mm. and when somebody gives you whether it's a dollar or a hundred grand or a million bucks, depending on, you know, what, what scale it's at, um, you, you have to be grateful for that. And, um, not only do you have to be grateful internally, but you have to, um, not in a, not in a, um, not in a, a kind of over the top way, but you have to, um Display your your gratitude and 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 show people, you know, and I think that's probably why, by and large, I have been able to nurture these some of these relationships that have are now more than a decade old, and people who are they're not a sponsor, they're like I say, they're family, um, and they're you know they're along for the ride, and they they love it, and they come to the events that they can come to. You can imagine how many people now that travels is a uh, possibility mm. again are queuing up to come to a race in Thailand Absolutely. on the beach for the weekend or something cool like that with their family, then go on a the holiday thereafter. Um, so it's a really, like, there's a lot of work. People only see the, the podium and the champagne and the onboard footage and the sexy stuff. There's a lot of work to this, mm. but I, I love every moment of it. And at the end of the day, or at the start of the day, should I say, I still get to pull my helmet on, get to the end of pit lane, turn that pit lane speed limit off, dump dump the throttle, and this thing just lights up. And it still gives me the same sh- sort of rush as it did when I was 12 years old and I first did it. So it's all worth it just for that moment, you know. <laughs> I bet. It's, it's, so yeah. in- like, it's interesting what you said about the...
1: You know, we have the same thing. I'm sure it's, on a, it's an, on a different scale with us, I'm sure. But we have the same thing, the relationships in, in terms of sponsorship or in terms of people who support us that have been yeah. since day one, actually, since before day Very one. faster, the right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and and you know. I know the uh, song.
0: Yeah,
1: That's right. Exactly. He loves it. Um, the, <laughs> the, uh, yeah. You know, uh, Scott. Ultraspire, all those brands that, you know, job sunglasses, you know, great guys that, that sort of bring us forward. And it's, it's such a strange thing, that authenticity that you must bring, isn't it? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, what you're saying is all you have is your relationship and your reputation. And do you see in the sport that there's some people that, sure, they might be able to put down a super hot lap, but their reputation of who they are sort of impedes their career? Or is it strictly kind of, is it more kind of, We'll let you get away with being a bit of a dick cause you're so fast
0: let's let's come back to that in a sec. I just want want to throw back what you've just said to me back to you with regards to authenticity um, and and sort of i guess applaud what you guys do because your the relationships that you've nurtured um have you know some of the the partners that you've partnered with. Scott is one. Ultra Spy is another. And Further Fast is another. I've bought products from them because of your your recommendation or your endorsement. Um, because you know I don't know you guys, but you're trustworthy guys, and you can tell from the conversations that you have that you're genuine, and so that's authentic, right? So it's the same as me. Mm. It's all well and good having a a, a sponsor on your podcast, but um, it's very it's. People can see through whether it's just because they give you a kickback or whether you genuinely um, you have a, a good relationship with, with these partners. So, um, so kudos, lads. Um, but anyway, going, going back to to the question you made, yes, hundred um, percent. There, and look, you get that in every sport, right? Mm. There are there are the chosen ones who are, you know, one in a million talents. Now. Um, they're going to make it, regardless, w- within reason. Then you've got that kind of secondary layer that's just below them, right? And there's quite a few drivers like that who are who are like the 99% perfect. You know, they're they're up there, and it's it's there where you start to um, already see some drop off if you don't. Think a little bit more broadly about how you approach your craft, because talent's only going to get you so far unless you're one of those one in a million talents. And the rest of us aren't that fortunate. And I'm not even in that second brass. I'm 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 perfectly comfortable um, and content with where I am. I know where I am. I know where my strengths are. I know where my weaknesses are. I've isolated a career path that's pragmatic that I can make a living doing what I love. But I like I'm not a, a Mitch Evans or a, a Scott Dixon. And, and they're great guys. And you know, Mitch is a, a good friend and, and whatnot. And um, and I'm man enough to admit that I don't have his his talent. But Mitch is a great example. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of Mitch, but he's in Formula E, which is the, the electric series and he's with Jaguar. Um, exceptional driver, one of many that we've got um and he is in that you know that 99% just below your lewis hamiltons right so he has had to put the work in off the track to to complement and supplement his natural ability and that's why he's now got earning a great living he's got a a, a really really close relationship with jaguar he's their main man and i see i couldn't see him leaving them until the end of his career because he's really um, through hard work and ability um, fallen or well not fallen, but found himself in a, in a fortunate position that could see him through to the end of his career. So um, I think what it really comes down to guys, and again, this translates across most sports, if not mm. all, is, you um, and my my dad said said this to me many years ago, and I didn't want to hear it at the time. Um, and this was in relation to motor racing, but it 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 it's it translates, and that is that nobody is out of living in motor racing. You know? And you can imagine I, I don't know how old I was when he first told me this, maybe 18, 19. And it was the last thing I wanted to hear. We were we must have been having a conversation where I was I was feeling hard done by and poor me, right? Which you do sometimes when when things go against you, and but that's always stuck with me, and that's actually really become a mantra that I I, I sometimes um, you know just just go back to because nobody is owed a career in any sport, you know, you've got to work for it. Mm. So if you if you reach the top level or close to it, and then you're as another friend of mine says, you end up on the scrap heap within a couple of years and you can't get yourself off it because you haven't put the work in and your moment's gone, to be honest, tough shit. Like that's a life lesson, right? Some people get a second chance, but if you haven't, if you haven't developed the work ethic and the discipline from the early stages of your career, set those good foundations to, um, to really have some longevity in a career which has its trappings and its pitfalls, and isn't all, um, you know, isn't all, again, champagne and trophies, um, then you probably once you do find yourself in that scrap heap, think, well, you know, do I really have it in me to give it another go? Like it hasn't worked first time round, and you know, if you haven't taken the right attitude in and, and put the work in to complement your talent, then it's probably of the time, it's not going to happen a second time around. So you move on, and a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. Um, And look, some of them feel hard done by. Others, with age and wisdom, will come to realize that, you know, a lot of it was their own doing. Um, Everyone develops at different rates. Some people might never reach that realization, but at the end of the day, that's the harsh reality of it. Mm -hmm. And I have never... I've never taken for granted what I do because I, we never had money as a family to get me to any sort of level. We had connections and, and history and, and within our very small um, industry in New Zealand, we were a family name that was known. So that opened some doors, but it didn't put me on the grid. Uh, we still needed to raise sponsorship and all of these things. So... And I, I saw the, the sacrifices my, my dad and my grandparents had to make um, in my early career to help me. Um, so, you know, I, I I don't think it would have even been possible for me to take it for granted because it just wasn't part of my upbringing, you know. So I'm very, you know, probably a, a product of my environment like, like anyone in that sense. But I... Developed the work ethic from a young age to, to get to where I am because I had no other choice. There was no unwriting out a check for me, um, which until you turn professional was the only way you go racing. Hmm. Uh, so I, I wouldn't have it any other way. If I was born with a silver spoon, I wouldn't be driving now, I can tell you. Um, I, I know that because there is so much under the surface that um, I would not have in my repertoire so so thanks dad and nan yeah. and pop yeah <laughs> yeah uh, i mean that's the thing isn't it we are we
2: are a product of our our, our mm. parents in lots of ways our families our our the environment that we come from and, and then as we move through life we we bring those experiences that don't we and that that comes through very strongly mm. with you you're you know you are who you are you you know you you're very deliberate obviously and and, and disciplined in your approach but you also you be yourself, you know, you, you've made choices. I try around, to be, so around,
0: I, that means yeah. a lot. Thank you. You, you know, yeah. you've,
2: you've made choices around, around your diet. You, you support things like the SPCA, um, mm. you know, you're, you're not just out for number one, you, you kind yeah. of got a, a broader worldview and that, that comes through strongly. Thank you. Mm. I do want to pull you up though. You talked about, um, being a little bit, you know, your, your training just sort of being, we go with the flow and so on. But correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you get a third at the Coastal Challenge? A um, couple, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I, so I did. It wasn't in the
2: full all, Monty. It's not all. It wasn't the full all, Monty. Come, come, though, on, so come on, don't do that.
1: Don't fall into that trap. I was only doing. <laughs> that's what we do as runners. Own it, man. I know. Just you, you, take
0: it. <laughs> you know what I've. You know what I've learned too, and and I, I still tell myself this every day. But but you know. There's all of these like satirical articles online, uh, and you know those sort of parody meme running pages that are like, you know, um, quite brilliant. In time, ultra. U- ultra runner doesn't refer to himself as a runner. You know, yeah. Um, I'm just I'm just a guy who likes running, but I'm not a runner. Um, <laughs> yeah, I look, I I, I go okay, like. Um, I don't know. Look, I, look, you don't have to explain I'm, yourself. I just wanted
2: everyone to know that you in yeah. as much as you're taking this new approach, you're still damn fast when you want to be. Look,
1: I and I I think we can also, I mean, speaking with that with, you know, you've, you've you've brilliantly put it that, you know, you you sort of win. I guess you could take the boy out of the car on the grid, but you can't take the car and the grid out of the boy, <laughs> oh, right? Like, man. you know, that, you're, you're <laughs> if so I'm a guy right. who writes stuff on the back of it, like Eugene's a spreadsheet guy. You're a spreadsheet guy. At work I'm a spreadsheet guy. Out of work, I'm a back of the envelope guy, you know. Okay. And I get the red mist. Yeah. So if I get the red mist, <laughs>
0: yeah. you know, oh, standing <laughs>
1: on the start line, if the if the blood, if the world narrows, I mean, I shudder to think what
0: you lot like.
1: <laughs> yeah. <Shudder> and
0: and <laughs> so so no matter what approach I take in, in my my short running, you know, air quotes career, um, you're right. When you get on that start line, you're still like, all right what is my strategy here? You're scoping everyone out. You're like, that guy looks fit. That guy's got all the gear. Is is he a charlatan? <laughs> is he a charlatan? Or does he, is he have the idea? idea? <laughs> how how many of the, and this is another thing I was thinking at, at, at um, Coastal was Tarawera had just been canceled, I think the week before. Mm. So I was like, how many of these guys were going to be on the grid at Tarawera? You know, like I was thinking all of these things as, as again, anyone competitive does what I liked about the coastal and I've, I've done the full Monty a few times um, when I was young. Now, the reason I didn't include that in my, my running history is because literally the first time I did it the night before um, I'd seen it on early days of Facebook, it was like 2008 or nine and me and two of the boys were sitting at my place and we had nothing to do that weekend and we weren't runners, man. And, the, the, I was like, look at this run, man. You run down the, the coast from Wangapurau to Devonport. I was living in Albany at the time. Uh, Should we do it? Oh, hell yeah, bro. So we we went in, found what gear we could. We we had no trail shoes or any any of that at the time. We put in our gym gear. Um, we didn't have any, you know, backpacks or anything. We had nothing. Uh, we relied on the aid stations with their little cups of water and all. And we just turned up and we went for it. And, um... And we, I think we finished second and third in the under twenty ones or something. And well, like, oh, this was fun, but then we just forgot about it, and we we never did it again. Uh, and then a couple of years later, we did the same thing. We're like, should we do the coastal tomorrow? Yeah, okay. So uh, there was no plan. And the coastal that I did recently, that obviously this year's one. Again, taking this new approach, um, I, I had moved to to Taupo or to Taupo, should I say, um, to relocate my pets and my gear at my father's place. My, my dad and my stepmother down there, um, and so I was spending most of the summer down there. Um, but I I went up to Auckland for the weekend to to stay with my mum and see some friends and family and see some people I wanted to see before I was heading away and it just so happened that the coaster was that weekend. So it was the same thing. I, I was like, all right, well, let's, let's enter. But because I entered late, I couldn't get in on the, the full Monty because of the, mm. the COVID limits of red. So I just entered the, the, the mid or whatever it's called, the, the 22 one. Um, and it was fun, man. It was fun because again, there was no pressure. It was just like, I've, A, I've done the event before, but B, I wasn't in the plan and I really enjoyed that. And then I I finished that up and um, because because of the injury last year that I I talked about earlier, um, I had at the time and the reason that Carl and I started training or training specifically and more disciplined together was that um, I was – Entered and I still am entered. Got my deferred entry for the Tarawera 102. So the plan was that he and, and Simon Cochrane and I would um, would train together at different points throughout that build up, and then obviously on the day Simon and I were going to do the 102, and Carl was going to do the, 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 the 100 um, mile. Thank God it was cancelled though, man. Remember how muggy that weekend was? Oh, <sighs> um, like I Simon still went and ran 100k on his own and. I think it took him about three weeks to recover because he was just so depleted, poor bugger. But anyway, um, so so just circling back to that, I, I really wanted to do an, an ultra before I, I went away. Um, the the 2 K got cancelled, as you guys know. Tarahuerá was cancelled. Everything everything else was cancelled. Um, so two just two weeks two weeks ago today, actually, from when we were filming or recording here, um, I. I'd seen a post on wild things and the the old Facebook group and some lady had, had um, run the timber trail over two days and I'd never heard of it. And I saw these photos and I was like, this looks sick. So I Googled it. And I was like, man, this isn't far away. This isn't, this is like an hour from me. So I was like, bugger it, I'm doing it. I'm going to, I'm going to do an ultra on my own on the last weekend before I head to Asia because as you can imagine, <laughs> my trail running options in Thailand are going to be limited. You know, there's leeches and there's snakes and there's friggin' elephants and tigers.
2: Mountain lions, And I'm not,
0: I, I'm not exaggerating here. I, I mm-hmm. went for a hike there and there were leeches all over me I, and I didn't enjoy it because every five seconds I was looking at my ankles trying to pick them off. So, so yeah, I really wanted to do that. Tick that box for myself. Um, so I, I made a plan. Got like my dad to drop me at the start. Had a mate who lived in Awakuni, which was really handy. He was going to pick me up at the other end, which is um, uh, for people who, who don't know the, the, the loop. It's through the Puriota Forest, which sort of starts um, on the western side of, of Lake Taupo and heads all the way through the forest from near Tokarawa through to near Tōmenui. Um So it's 84K or something. Um, at least that's what it is on the on the map. Um, I think it came out to about 82 and a half. So dad dropped me at the start. Um, and I, yeah, it was just me, obviously, Solar Ultra. Um, so I had to carry quite a bit of stuff, obviously, because it's pretty remote. I don't know if you guys have done it, but there's not a lot of, um, areas to, to fill up your know, water or anything. In fact, there's only one and that's in the middle. So there's a bit of a story here. So, so. So I set off and and prior to the event, I, I sort of was thinking in my head, okay, well, what sort of pace should I go? Like I, I, I knew the sort of pace I was ticking along at in training and, and you know, I, was, I can sort of tick along in zone one heart rate at, at like a 445. I can tick along at a zone two at 425 now. Like my, my base is good. Um, I've really been working on that hard over the last sort of three four months. So I was messaging Carl and I said, "Right, mate, like, what are we going to do here?" You know, because he he did it in in lockdown. Uh, sorry, before between the lockdowns last year, um, on his own as well. So he gave me a bit of context on um, how to go about it, insofar so far as just how few few areas there were with cell phone reception, and again water and stuff like that. So I looked at the vert plot. Most of the hills are at the start. So I was like, okay, cool. So, you know, obviously you, you run it to suit. And um, I sort of thought to myself, oh well, you know, if I sort of aim for like that 5.30 pace and, and take along, I don't think I'll be, um, you know, pushing the motor too hard, you know, the internal motor too hard. I, I'm pretty sure I can maintain that um but then because i was on my own i had to carry a lot of stuff um you know sort of what did i have three and a half liters of water plus food for the day change of clothes because i was at the other end i was staying in oakuni for the night so i had to have a change <sighs> of clothes and all of that toothbrush all of that stuff and if you're uh, out, so out I think in
2: oakuni you got to have, have your glad rags so
0: you know yes exactly yeah. um and then you know like like as much as I didn't want to, had to have my thermals and seam seal jacket and stuff just in case something went wrong and mm-hmm. I was stuck for a while. Um, safety first, right team. And so, yeah, I, I think my my Zygos 4, my Ultra Spire, I'm not sponsored, but my Ultra Spire pack, it probably would have been eight or nine kilo when it, sh- you know, typically would be three or four, right, if you had aid stations. So um, that alone, uh, you know, I, I knew that was going to, um, that was going to take its toll with every step, right? And it did. Um, so that was that was um, a little lesson learned. But anyway, it was tracking along really well. Um, got to the halfway point, pretty much bang on the middle of of, of the the trail. There's um, a really beautiful lodge where you can book accommodation and all. But if you're just passing through, you can refill your water, um, do whatever you like you know, there's hot water there. If you want to grab coffee, you, can do, you know, it's really, really nice little place to stop. So I timed my, my fluids perfectly and, and got through the first um, bladder and, and a couple of little bottles um, uh, by the, by that point, like I was bang on. I was like, this is good. So I filled, filled them all back up and um, I was doing the little bottles first. So um. I sucked on one of those, finished that, and about 5K after the, the 40K mark at the halfway, my, I started, my pants were feeling oh, no. all my were feeling all wet. And I was like, what the f***? <laughs> so I was like, I stopped and I, I, I looked at the, the bladder and it was the seam was, you know, the top thing, uh, the little Ziploc thing was sealed. And so, okay. So I carried on and like 10 seconds later, it just evacuated. And the, the, the seam down the side, and this again, not this wasn't an ultra spire bladder, just so you know, guys. A very, very <laughs> sponsor. It was an aftermarket one. Um, it completely split down the side, dumped the water all over the backs of my legs. So I was like, castaway man. I pulled the bladder out, I was like holding it open, trying to get every drop in my mouth because this is the only water I was going to have for the next 40K. And then right from that point on was it was like okay well I, re- I really just need to finish now because this isn't about any targets anymore um not that it ever was but you know I was trucking along at a pace that I believe that I could have maintained for the most of the duration and I really just had to back it off because I had absolutely no water left right and so I, I carried on and um you know it got harder and harder and harder and probably with 15 k's to go like i couldn't even muster saliva anymore in in my mouth like i was i was parched man and i didn't want to eat because a lot of the food um you know had quite thick um sort of ingredients in it that i didn't have the saliva to break down so i was kind of a catch-22 there as well and so probably the last 10k i kind of Walk, ran a fair bit of it, and then the last five k, um, I'd run a hundred, walk fifty because I was. And the fifty, when I'd stop from the walk to the run each each set, if you like, I was seeing stars, man. Like I was almost falling off trail, so I had to get my poles out and run with them just to keep myself upright because I was just so dehydrated. And uh, anyway, I made it and. And it was, it was so awesome. Like it, the, the bladder thing, it just added to the experience and the challenge and the story. And, and I, I got to the finish and I still had no phone reception. Um, so I, I came across a couple of uh, elderly couples in their camper vans that were at, at the, the sort of car park at the other end and they were having a beer with their friends and, sort of told them right told them where I'd come from and they were like they looked at me like I was an alien they're like what do you mean you've just come from from there you know and and so when they couldn't offer me um phone reception that we were all on the same network at least they offered me some water so she bought out this kiwi blue and she said just take it and I said oh thank you so much because I think I'm gonna need to sit down um and uh and I kid you not, within five minutes of arriving, my, my buddy Bowie turned up in his van. He'd timed it perfectly. Um, I said at the start of the day, I reckon I'll be here around 4.30. And at 4.33 I arrived. And uh, and he arrived five minutes later. And the first thing we went and did, man, is we went and got a box of Coronas. And, uh, and we had a pretty boozy evening. It was bloody good. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really good day. And I was... You know it was a from to do an ultra solo um I haven't done an event one yet to do it solo um I think was quite special because you know it was it was just a challenge that that was about me achieving a goal. Um, I expected to go through more ups and downs. I think I probably would have if it was a race and I was pushing harder to be honest but the only lows I, I really felt was in that last hour when i i was dehydrated mm. um, but I got there i that i actually felt remarkably good the next day um I actually went for a bit of a hike with with my mate Bowie and we went up and and it was foggy and rather and we we went uh, seven or eight came to the hills and we saw at least stags in the fog grazing and it was it was what a sensational experience in itself but body felt all right and I was running again within three days and so I got a couple of quick runs in and then I was on a plane and and I've been in quarantine ever <laughs> since so but it was special man I can see why your guys and your guests and your listeners um, are, you know so passionate about this discipline ultra running and all of its forms because it's it's something that um, until you do it, seems impossible. You know, like a 10K to someone's impossible mm. until you do it and then a half and then a full, yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, and now that I've done it, I'm like, it's not me now sitting here thinking I want to go do a miler. I will one day, but it's it's not that at all. It's just I'm actually quite content to just sit back now and and just, you know, go, hey, that was great. Mm. Um but I think um, now that it uh, sort of COVID is starting to ease and Tarawera has deferred all the entries from this year, I've still got mine. I'm going to be there next summer. So I think that's probably what the plan will be is, mm. is keep up some, some modicum of running here as much as I can. Obviously, the climate here is going to really be something I need to get used to because it's super muggy and hot. Yeah. But you'll adapt. Um, but then, when I get back early December, um, hook up with Carl, get a prop training program for Taroita because again, that's a big race, right? And it's a competitive race. Do it properly, but still have fun. And um, and hopefully, I'll meet you boys in person at that one.
1: You will, you will. Look, John, you know, I'm wondering if if we haven't had our first sort of preemptive greatest run ever.
0: Well, I thought what about is- this because again, I'm a listener. <laughs> now I'm gonna. I don't know if this is cheating, but can can I? Can okay, I we'll speak? frame it. We'll frame it, John
1: and Lester, This has been incredible. Like it honestly <laughs> has been an incredible chat. Like it's okay, been insightful. It's been engaging. It's been wonderful. Um, hey, John, we're going to ask you the same question we ask everyone who comes on Do hmm. Church Radio. It's been your greatest run ever.
0: Okay, can can I talk about a hike? Yeah, of course. Okay, I thought I didn't think you guys would mind you're not going to no. just end the call now. Hiking, yep, this is the yeah. part of it. <laughs> Okay, so no, so so we talked talked a little bit about mental health and and you know the, the struggles with many people have gone through throughout COVID and whatnot, and um, you know, no stranger to that myself, obviously. And so, um, last year when we got out of the first block of lockdowns and we thought we were free, um. Little did we know, eh? Uh, I, I cruised down to um, see my family in Taupo, and then I went through to see the same mate, Bowie and Radehi, and we um, got all our gear together, and we did the, um, I forget what the name of it is now, but you know the full circumference, oh, the, the Ring of Fire. So, you know, the, the whole way around the mountain, but we we hiked it. Um, and, you know, but Bowie's, um, he's, a, he's a big fella. He, he loves his running. I've, I've, I've um, been helping him go plant-based. Um, he's been, you know, turning, turning his health around and whatnot. Um, and he's a really, he's just a lovely, lovely friend who um, was really an acquaintance until a couple of years ago. He's a friend of my best friend. But um, we this was the first hike we did together and it's become a thing. And we we turned up at Whakapapa and we were going to do it all in one hit. So, um, what is it? Seventy-eight like k. So we set off, and we, we we timed it. It was it was April. Um, we we set off just before sunlight, and we did it anti-clockwise. Um, so we do the the harder stuff first, you know. Do that um, that the goat section first, where it's really treacherous. We didn't want to do that when we were tired. Um, beautiful conditions, man. Like slightly overcast, no wind, which around a mountain you don't want, right? You don't want wind. And we set off, and it was a it ended up being a twenty hour adventure together um, from. Yeah, it was twenty. I think it was twenty hours moving, twenty two all up, or something like that. And it was, man, it was like a big therapy session. You know, when you're just walking along with your buddy, like we talked about anything and everything. I've talked about things with him I've never talked with about anyone other than myself inside my own head, and and vice versa. And and it was it was very cathartic in that sense. We we um, got through the ring of fire. We carried on. if um, anyone who's done it, you come out in this beautiful tussock section before one of the first, uh, the first lodges or, or dock huts. Just the sun was setting, so they were just golden, man. And it was beautiful. And then the whole way through the night stint, across all of the scree on the sort of rangipo side of the mountain, um, it was a full moon, so it was really well lit. There wasn't a breath of wind and you could, I was following in behind Bowie here, letting him set the pace. And we just had, a actually, my head torch was garbage. So he just had his on and I was following him and the, you could just see this head torch in the dark man with this full moon and this beautiful settings. And it was, oh, it was, it was really special. I, I the whole time I was just, Felt really grateful to to be there and and be experiencing this beautiful part of the world um, in like I say perfect conditions like you know how bad Rua can be on a on an average day let alone a bad day right we just timed it so well Um, and so then we popped out at the uh, the last last dock hut um, sort of by the one that in let's turn off the desert road before the, the, the walkways back through to Whakapapa before you turn off Tama Lakes and all. And we stopped by this natural natural spring or this natural stream where um, it was a natural water source that you could fill your own water. This was about 3.30 in the morning. And um, Bowie's a big Wim Hof proponent. So he jumped, he, he got all the way in, man. I kid you not, I put my foot in and it was like, it was like somebody lit it on fire. It was so cold. <laughs> it was so cold. And he got all the way in up to his bloody nipples. And I was like, you mad bugger. Um, so we're standing there in the, in the pitch black and we're, we're drinking on this, this natural aquifer uh, coming down off the mountain. And then we, we march on through to, to the chateau. And we, we arrived at the chateau about 6.30 in the morning. So the last 30 minutes, we had enough sunlight to see where we were going. Um, popped out the chateau, carked out on their front lawn for 20 minutes, gathering, trying to gather our senses. Uh, like I say, it was it was pretty much twice around the clock. Um, but it was it was probably the yeah, it is it is the most special experience I've had mm. in insofar as a, an activity or a, a physical endeavor. So it's not a run but I am going to do the Ring of Fire. It's on my list. No, so no, man. That's Look, we, will, we, will, right. we will
2: take that. That absolutely qualifies as a great one okay. ever. I'm glad. Thank by you. A, by, <laughs> a, by a long shot. And it just sounds awesome. like an, an enchanted um, adventure. It was, man. Brought it on really by, was. You know, and just, just that, like you say, Having having such a um, cathartic experience as well just makes it even more special. Yeah. So no, absolutely. We'll, we'll we'll give that the tick of approval. Hey, John, very much. Thank if you. Have s- me back
0: on one day. I'll do a running one. We will right. definitely have we, you back we on. We definitely <laughs> have you back on. Look, John, thank you awesome.
2: so so much. You've been very very generous with your time. We really appreciate it, and uh, we can't wait to uh, follow your progress uh, back up in Asia racing this year.
0: Thank you, lads, and, and thank you so much for having me on. Um, like I, I said earlier, uh, you guys. Uh, really authentic with what you do. I love what you do. You're one of three podcasts that I religiously listen to. Um, so keep up what you're doing. Um, it's a real privilege to to be one of your guests. And um, and yeah, you'll, I'll be a listener for a long while yet. Yeah, Thank, Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, lads.
2: I think the words for me out of that are precision and discipline. Um, and he just has those in, in buckets, like yep. bucket loads, doesn't he? But also, you know, as you as you said, you know, just that whole way that he's able to bring, you know, get joy and, and, and enjoy this running journey yep. that he's been on. Um, amazing.
1: I think it's, for me, what really stood out too is a, you know, always go with an ultra spire bladder, never aftermarket. But absolutely, and pro- yeah. probably no, if we were being <laughs> serious, um, apart from that 0. 0.1 of 0. 0.1 of 0.1 percent, mm. all we have in this life is our relationships. That's what yep. people will remember, that's what will mm. further us, that's what will nourish us, and that's what will nourish other people is our repu- you know, our, our relationship, and, and therefore our reputations are based on those relationships. So, mm. you know, really mm. wonderful, wise words from John and I can't wait to catch up with him in person and I wish him the best for yeah. a season you know like yeah talk absolutely about, you know, yeah talk about a hustle Whew. yeah wow incredible yeah look thank you all very much for tuning in we're on social media at Dirt Church Radio, and you can email us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com you can find us on all the podcast platforms like and subscribe if you fancy and you can download direct from the website which is dirtchurchradio.com
2: don't forget to write in with your greatest run ever. We love to hear them from you, and uh, you can read them on the website too, and we can see that people love doing that. Send them into to us, churchradio at gmail.com.
1: Thanks to our sponsors, Scott Running, Further Faster, and Cieli. and thank you to our Patreon patrons. Thank you to Wild Things, and thanks to our editor, Kieran. Stay tuned next week. We've got another great show lined up.
0: Matewa. <laughs> thanks, Rigby.